Hello, and welcome to a roundtable discussion on the Topic of Page podcast. My name is John Mayer. In this episode, I'm joined by guests for a lively conversation on a topic we hope you'll find interesting. Joining me on this roundtable is Kay Kellum, my sister. We're going to be talking about another, uh, in this case, Blu-ray, DVD, ultraviolet release. I don't know what this whole ultraviolet thing is. Don't really care. We watched the Blu-ray. This time, it is a spoiler-filled discussion on Justice League The Flashpoint Paradox. Now, this was what they claimed was an all-new original movie. It kind of is, kind of isn't. It basically adapts the Flashpoint miniseries that DC used to kind of bridge a couple of months and launch the New 52 universe. So, summer of 2011, DC announces they're doing the Flashpoint miniseries. It's going to be a five-issue miniseries, have a bunch of surrounding, you know, one-shots and two-issue miniseries, three-issue miniseries or whatever, um, to kind of flush out this world. And then... They announce it, and but as it's starting, they're announcing, yeah, and afterwards, we're going to a whole new continuity. And this kind of did an in-continuity reboot of their universe. So, for this Blu-ray, in the span of, what, 78 minutes, 80 minutes, thereabouts, 81, yeah, 81, 81 minutes, minutes. They, uh, they try to c- collapse a five-issue miniseries into one... Uh, movie complete with kind of setting the scene and all of that stuff so if i recall correctly in the comic book the whole opening sequence with the flash museum Mm -hmm. i don't think that happened interesting um but i could be wrong here i think they needed to do that to set up the original batman superman but it's it's certainly established basically who are allies of each other, who are the bad guys, the enemies of each other. It did some good, important world building. But then when we flipped over to the alternate reality in the world he's now forced to live in, they didn't really explain for, it felt like half an hour, why people were behaving what felt like drastically out of character. Now, you had caught his mom had been dead and then wasn't. Definitely. So you knew time had been changed. Yes, yes. Now, I'm coming at it from having read the complete previous, not the complete, uh, but the previous continuity from Crisis on Infinite Earths in 1985 through Flashpoint. So when they, the last time they had seriously rebooted their continuity all the way forward. I didn't read all of that. I, I skipped a couple of titles here and there, whatever, but I probably read 90 to 95% of that continuity. Most of it as it was coming out, some afterwards. So to say I was coming in with some baggage to the, the comic mm-hmm. was one thing. Having read the comic, all of the tie-ins where they flesh out what's going on with Aquaman, Wonder Woman, and all the other characters. Yeah, see, having a clue what was going on with Aquaman... Knowing Aquaman had a wife, for instance, yes. would have been useful information for a, we'll call me a novice viewer. Well, this was very much centered on the Flash, with Batman as a supporting character, not quite sidekick, but second fiddle. Um, 
the whole Amazon versus Atlantis storyline was background aspects. It certainly led to the climatic battle at the end very directly. But aside from a few flashbacks here and there, they never really explain that backstory. Well, the Amazons and the Atlantis plotline seem to be kind of the communism versus democracy politics of the time, if you will. And it was kind of the the greater world aspect that doesn't generally impact your daily life, even if there is a war going on a million miles from your home, it's not happening in your hometown nine times out of ten. So it was a background world political situation to what Barry Allen was going through. Yes, and in this movie... They basically portray it as a uh, political marriage between Atlantis and and the Amazons, um, literally between Aquaman and Wonder Woman. Mira, Aquaman's wife, takes issue with that, seems to attack Wonder Woman in the backstory. She kills Mira, and things go to hell from there. Now, it's more implied than directly stated in many of these cases. We see scenes, but don't really have the full context. And the part that puzzles me with the movie is, one, why was there this marriage of state if Aquaman was already married? Mm -hmm. Two, why wouldn't anyone think his wife Mira would be upset with this? Um, Yeah, and I mean, it seems like maybe it was like a diplomatic meeting of the minds, a, a peace treaty type meeting, and they happened to fall in love at it, and he was surprised that his wife and the woman that he was becoming enchanted by had some disagreement behind the scenes that he didn't know about and went and fought each other and one ended up dead. It was very... That makes a lot more sense than what I read into what they showed. Yeah. But in the comics, Ocean Master, uh, Black Manta, Artemis, and a few of the others, the, the this kind of the second rung of power on the two sides, uh, particularly Ocean Master, basically... Um, kills somebody, sets things into play. The two sides get set against one each other, not through, you know, a, a lover spat kind of a thing, but through political machinations of, you know, Ocean Master wanted to be in charge, not Aquaman. So the fact that they had a ton of space in the comics to go flesh that out, and here they just said, yeah, yeah, it's happening in the background. Yeah. And Gives they... a, a very different read to the story. Yeah, and they they had a hard time. Well, and like I said, it felt like at least half an hour into the movie before they really gave an explanation for why the end of the world was coming with this huge battle and world war between the metahumans. Mm-hmm. And people that I expected to be allies weren't. And at one point, I couldn't even tell if people that had been clearly bad guys in the opening sequence we're actually now bad guys or not because we were seeing them out on the streets fighting but since the good guys were now acting like bad guys i couldn't actually tell who these bad guys were fighting and what was going on because it was just a short news clip in the background in the news clip we see citizen cold fighting captain boomerang and citizen cold was a hero See, and that was what was confusing me. And in the mainstream universe, they're kind of trying to pull some of that in with Captain Cold and Lex Luthor, for that matter, after the uh, Forever Evil event joining the Justice League. And Lex Luthor was out on the ship 
trying to uh, defeat Aquaman and being sent in by the government and seeming very much like a good guy during his brief appearance. He was actually going in with Deathstroke and his crew. So they were kind of, I don't know if they were government supported or not. Maybe I, I missed the they line. They seemed to report into the government at one point or the okay. government was right. complaining that they had sent in Lex Luthor and That's it right. hadn't You're worked right. out. Right. The president mentioned that with, with uh, Cyborg. In the comics, they were very much using this as an opportunity to spend two or three months doing some serious world building. And for my money, they did some great stuff because every issue seemed to reveal more about the world. And I don't mean just the flashpoint issues, but in many cases, all the surrounding miniseries and one-shots. And the amount of depth that they got into in literally three months, Mm. it was a fully fleshed out world. Mm-hmm. Now, here we are years later in the New 52, and I don't feel they've gone to that level of depth in their new universe. Because instead of doing, okay, we've got the five-issue miniseries for Flashpoint, or a three-issue thing for Aquaman's side of events, and another three issues for Wonder Woman's, they've got ongoing titles. So they don't have, and I don't think they should have, a sense of urgency and rushing to the story. But it comes down to, with Flashpoint, I went into the New 52 universe with certain expectations on storytelling style, hmm. on they're going to do things different, they're going to shake things up. You know, who who was a hero, who was a villain could even change. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then we get the new 52, and by and large don't get a lot of that. You know, but this was what was kind of that turning point. Now, with DC Animation, it was also something of a turning point, because... This takes a lot of the voice actors, Kevin Conroy, uh, Tim Daly, uh, and, and the like, that had been doing some of these characters early on with the Batman animated series, the Superman animated series, into this. And then for the duration of this, they kind of flip out to a totally different voice cast for most of the characters mm. because they're different versions of the characters, mm-hmm. which I thought was kind of cool. And, of course, Andrea Romano doing voice directing. Always gets great performances out of out of the cast. And it's interesting how many of the characters they do touch on. You know, Hal Jordan, the Demon, uh, Grifter. Uh, you know, a, a lot of these are or not major roles, but they, they come in, they do their thing. Well, I was going to say, uh, Steve Trapper was there for all of one scene. Mm-hmm. But brief as it was, he was well used. Well, and the Resistance got their own miniseries. Lois Lane, I think, got a one-shot or two. Steve Trevor in the comics had quite a bit of more screen time than a single scene, of course. And again, they used this as kind of a, a pivot point for the whole DC universe. Now, after this, they've released a number of, of animated movies, some of which are in this continuity, some of which are clearly not in this continuity. They did one Justice League one that was more of an all-ages kind of affair or whatever. Mm. Um, yeah, this was very much a world war, violent, things got destroyed movie. I'm not sure what the rating on this is. PG-13, I just glanced, yeah. That kind of surprises me, because there are a couple of things that, particularly in the end fight, where it looks like Aquaman's literally going to rip out Cyborg's heart, Mm -hmm. Uh, Batman shoots... Professor Zoom through the head, and we're looking through the gunshot wound. Yeah. There are a couple of things there. It's like, you know, this is not appropriate for kids. Yeah. Well, I had the thought as I was watching it, 
Uh, first of all, that you know we keep escalating the violence in our quote entertainment to to up the thrill factor, and mm-hmm. because we keep having to be more shocking in order to surprise people. But also, there's the sad old joke about the kids who see people who get up after the 30 or 40 foot fall on screen uninjured and so they think they can go jump off the roof of the house and they won't be injured when they land because well i saw it on screen clearly it can be done yeah yeah and the incredible fight scenes in this animated film had you thinking that a car could land on top of you, but don't worry, the uh, skylight will shatter around you and you'll just climb into the car and out through the door and you'll be fine. And That was a bit absurd. Uh, the Flash getting uh, an iron uh, or uh, rebar. steel rebar through his leg and then running later. Yeah. Without having bled out or whatever. I mean, he took some serious punishment. And even if you go with the super speed healing, it's still... He had third degree burns before his super speed healing was reactivated. But once it got reactivated, he got that healed up. Yeah. Well, and that goes into a comment you made before we sat down to watch this and part of why you encouraged me to watch it, of pointing out that there are a lot of things in this movie that kind of tie into the Flash television show we've been watching and that can be seen or are drawn from this movie into the Flash television show. Very much so. Um, Jeff Johns is the writer on the uh, comic of this. Somebody else did the adaptation for the movie, and they did a great job, um, given the scope of what they were adapting to. But one of the things that this added to the Flash mythos was the death of his mother. Because prior to this, his parents were kind of just not around, but it wasn't like who killed his mother. There wasn't a big mystery. It wasn't a big turning point. It It wasn't a Bruce Wayne. Exactly. My parents died in the alley. This introduced the what happened when he was a kid and the whole Flash, reverse Flash element to that. And then when you go to the pilot for the new Flash TV show, that is just front and center. Mm, Definitely. And in a comparison to the, the Gotham TV show, where one of the comments we saw in one of the, the, the behind-the-scenes or commentary uh, promo things for it, where they talk about how in a Batman movie, you see the the crime you know happen and then roll forward about 20 years. Mm-hmm. In this, you kind of see, okay, there's the death of the mom and then roll forward about 20 years. Yeah. Whereas in the Flash show, yeah, we've rolled forward, but we're also diving into that period a lot. Yeah, they're definitely investigating the case in the Flash show and trying to figure out what happened with the death of mom. Whereas in this movie, the death of mom was just kind of a, it happened. I I think it other than there's... almost a recap of his origin. I mean, in place of a recap at the beginning. Yeah. He's young, he's not fast enough. His mom dies. If only he'd been faster. Oh, and the irony, he turns out to be the Flash. Yeah. You know, we don't get the the actual lightning bolt origin at the beginning. And we probably should have, given that they try to recreate that accident later. But throwing that aspect into the Flash mythos here and it being leveraged so well in the new TV show, um, I thought was good. One of the things, and it's it's been a while since I'd read um, 
enough Flash comics with him as back in the police lab, the black guy who's coming out of the forensic stuff mm. and talking to him at the beginning, pretty much a dead ringer for the guy who plays- uh, Yeah, Joe. Joe is essentially foster father mm-hmm. in the TV show. And of course, he's a totally different character, but interesting, you know, kind of parallel there. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I kind of liked, kind of hate how both in here and in the comic- they have the concept of, you know, when you run faster than sound, you've got a sonic boom. When you run faster than time, you've got a time boom. And that's why Superman's origin's different. Green Lantern's origin just doesn't quite happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, Batman's origin is, is radically changed. Yeah. And it, that was one of the things that when I was reading the comic uh, every month, was always just irritating me in the back of my mind. It's like, okay, Professor Zoom goes back, kills his mom. Why does this happen or whatever? And, of course, that was the whole thing is it was supposed to be Reverse Flash's fault. It turns out not to be. See, and I, I get the butterfly effect theory and the whole if you step on a butterfly, things later don't happen. But these were things simultaneously not happening or even before yeah and that just the idea is if you're coming backwards through time you're already reversing a certain cause and effect yeah just i kind of get it i kind of don't for it to have had such ramifications in a comic book through time and space Mm. i mean now the flip side of that is it was interesting to me to see what they thought would have happened if superman had hit metropolis when he landed as a baby if his landing had just been a little bit off yeah where it was that that was kind of interesting to me but that's a staple of alternate timelines Mm -hmm. parallel worlds what if things had happened just a little bit differently Mm -hmm. you know if if superman had landed here versus there well and what they did in the change to the batman origin you know, and we were seeing that this very different Batman was after the Joker from the moment we encountered him. But when they explained the origin of the Joker in this alternate timeline, it was very in keeping with the Batman universe in terms of they're very much a uh, psychologically fragile, if you will, set of villains. Yeah. Well, and that was actually, I thought, one of the highlights of the uh the comic event was the whole reveal of who is the joker yeah. the origin all of that it's like wow that that's really disturbing and it was well done in the movie the yeah. visuals of it were just you know they kind of pull out at just the right moment and you're just kind of frozen in shock as it settles in of yikes Here's the one little twist they make to the Batman origin. Yeah. And here's the huge ripple afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. And it's cool. It was effective. It was well done. Mm-hmm. And that was the sort of thing in the span of about a three-month period. DC fully created this whole world, this whole reality, the rules it plays by, the politics, the drama. For them not to have followed up with that level of detail and storytelling and world building afterwards when they launched the new 52 was just very disappointing because they'd just shown how much they were capable of. Yeah, I could see that. And because it was such an epic event in so many ways, 81 minutes, man, just not enough time. Oh, definitely not. 
I mean, they used it well. They told the core story. But there's so many peripheral characters we just never got. So many side storylines we never got. Well, I, like I said, coming in as a novice viewer, I wish they had told me sooner or helped me understand sooner why Wonder Woman was evil or angry or whatever yeah. she was supposed to what be. What was her and mind this, state and what was her motivation? Is, and same with Aquaman. Yes. I wish I had understood those two things by about minute 10 in the movie. I would have been a much happier viewer for the first probably 45 minutes of the movie. Because by the time I found out, I'm, I'm not going to say it was anticlimactic, but it was just kind of disorienting by that point. Yeah, by that point you were... I could see where you might have been either confused enough or it, it was almost irrelevant by that point. By that point, it was just kind of a, but that doesn't make sense for this epic world war. So I'm, yeah, I'm still confused and I'm not sure I can really integrate that into my understanding. So I'm not sure I'm really going to put that in. That piece of the puzzle doesn't. Quite well, fit. it was forcing you to rethink stuff you'd already been watching while still absorbing new stuff. Mm -hmm. Whereas if they had just dealt with it early on, that would have would have sufficed and kept you in the story versus kind of giving you a, a little bit of a bump out of it. Yeah. The part that always jarred me, both watching this and in the comic, was when Barry would wake up at his desk. Yes. And it's like, well, how did he get there? Yes. Was he always there? Was he not? It's like, I never, there was a, a lack of continuity. It was a non sequitur. What led up to that? How come he doesn't remember, you know, what happened there? Because clearly, well, not clearly. When he timeline changes, he's in the Flashpoint world, all hell breaks loose, runs forward, gets back to reality, okay? Mm -hmm. Wakes up at his desk. Mm -hmm. Yet later in the Batcave, he's got the letter from, mm -hmm. from Batman, mm -hmm. or for Batman. Yeah. If he woke up at his desk out of costume, mm -hmm. how, how did that work? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's just those little things there that sometimes kind of just eat away at a story for me. Yeah. Well, and the funny thing is, when he woke up at the desk, my first thought was, darn, he must not have the letter for Batman. Because yeah. I really liked that he had been given a letter to give Batman. That was one of the things that I felt ended the story on a really interesting and solid note. In the comic, they play up the fact that both of them are detectives. Mm. And that's one of the similarities they've got. They're very much into science, understanding, following the facts, the figures, and the deduction. Mm -hmm. And it really drew some interesting parallels between the two. Now, it's unfortunate there's now the additional parallel of the death of the parents, mm -hmm. that sort of a deal. Um, again, what they're doing in the Flash TV show works wonderfully and how they've had, okay, here's, you know, uh, uh, Joe who stepped in as the ste stepfather figure kind of a deal and all that. Well, and in the Flash TV show, one of the things that I really liked was when the detective Joe went to the jail to talk to Barry's father mm -hmm. and to say, you know, I, I finally get it. I finally realize you're innocent. I finally understand you didn't kill your wife and I'm going to prove it. The father's response is, it doesn't matter that you didn't believe in me because you always believed in Barry. Yeah, you were always there for my son. Yeah. That was the important thing. Yeah. Again, the... The rich narrative ground that they have to play with on that show 
a lot of that comes from this storyline. Yeah, they're they're very clearly very solid characters mm-hmm. with a good core being, and I like that. Well, and this whole storyline plays with who are these characters? How would they? How would the core of the character either change mm-hmm. if a little of their history changes, or how would they react to this situation if their history really hadn't drastically changed? Mm-hmm. Uh, Steve Trevor, Lois Lane, a couple other characters are very much where they would have and should have been in mm-hmm. this world being who they were. Yeah, exactly. Who they are. Exactly. Other characters kind of had their destiny pulled out from under them in a few cases. Superman, uh, Hal Jordan, um, Wonder Woman, and, and Aquaman. Well, Superman to me was a very interesting one because it's, I almost want to say it's the classic fear come true. If the government had gotten to him first, he becomes the lab rat. He becomes something that they realize immediately he would be so powerful they're afraid of him. Yeah, they realize he's solar powered so bury him deep in the earth and not give him any sunlight. Yeah. You know, prevent him from being the threat you fear he could be. Mm Mm-hmm. This story was also a major turning point for Cyborg. In the past, um, he was a character who originated with the New Teen Titans in uh, 1980. Uh, George Perez was the artist. Uh, Marv Wolfman was the writer. They were bringing back the Teen Titans, who at the time had a number of short runs, not really successful. It's like, oh, we'll run them in the last six issues a year, whatever, and we'll go on and do other things. But this creative team struck gold because they, they, they had... A, a good sensibility to the series and a good team of characters, amazing both writing and art. It just it hit the right notes at the right time. And they were taking Robin as a, a college-age person, wound up within the first three years, about three years in, transitioning him into Nightwing. They took Wonder, Wonder Girl, kind of matured her a little bit, um, but they introduced other characters. They brought in uh, Kid Flash, of course, uh, but one of the major new characters was Cyborg. And this was basically an Olympic-level athlete who had gone through a horrific accident mm-hmm. and had to have kind of Cyborg robotic replacement for most of his body. And the thing was, so you've got this athletic guy. Who, it's it's essentially the $6 million man, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but in a modern-day sense. Um, so strength, uh, you know, uh, sonic gun, that kind of stuff. The big shift they introduced with Flashpoint was the, he can essentially tap into the grid. Mm, mm-hmm. He's now got the internet knowledge and data mining and all of that. So kind of taking $6 million man, the uh, connection to the internet and so forth that they did in the uh, uh, intelligence TV show a season or two back. Mm-hmm. You know, or kind of like the intersect stuff from Chuck. You know, and and kind of amped him up a little bit and decided, okay, he's now Justice League material. Which, not unreasonable given he was one of the few characters to get introduced into the Super Friends cartoon show. Which, for all intents and purposes, went from, okay, it was a kid's show with the lead couple and kid sidekicks to switch into the, 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 the Wonder Twins, move up to the challenge of the Super Friends. It became more of a just, officially a Justice League show as it went. Mm-hmm. They introduced Firestorm, who we're going to be getting soon-ish, uh, sometime this season in The Flash. But then on, I think the last season, they introduced uh, Cyborg. Mm. You know, again, teen hero, you know, type stuff. And he was used here as kind of uh, the government's 
I don't say go to hero, but on on retainer hero. Mm-hmm. You know, it's definitely government sponsored. And liaison to metahumans. Yeah, he was, for all intents and purposes, their Captain America type. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember if Argus started with Flashpoint or if it started after that. Maybe even started before that. I don't recall. I'm just trying to think with Steve Trevor mm. how how that would have played out. Um, but by and large, I mean they did a really good job here condensing the story, keeping it reasonably understandable for everything that was going on, and for a reality shifting storyline, that's kind of tough. Yes, definitely. Um, was it as accessible as you thought it needed to be? By the end, I understood what was going on. I just wished I understood more sooner. I would agree with that. As I was watching it, trying to think if I didn't know what I know, mm-hmm. what I've picked up on this, there were a couple of things, particularly with Aquaman and Wonder Woman, where I thought they kind of dropped the ball. There are a couple of things with both the movie and the comic series that I felt never really got explained. Canterbury Cricket, uh, the Canterbury Cricket was part of the Resistance. Mm-hmm. He even got a speaking role here. Um he was new for Flashpoint mm-hmm. and has never been seen since. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, what's up with him? Why introduce him? Why do anything? And then just throw him away. Yeah. Uh, the Shazam kids. I never really got what they were going for there. Mm-mm. They've kind of reintroduced them in the Shazam backup in Justice League. But between delays on Justice League, uh, the whole Shazam thing hasn't really pulled together in the new 52 as well as I would have liked it to. Um, so there were a lot of things they tried to do, but I felt they could have been more successful on. And I don't mean that really in terms of the movie, but so much more the source material. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, it was clear that I think it was Jim Craig who did the, the adaptation, had read the comics, understood the comics, followed the comics, and did a good job picking and choosing what to pull in, what not to pull in. Mm-hmm. But I think when the backstory was revealed, when the whole memory changes were happening, there was a little bit on the storytelling that I think either, you know how like in the Gilligan's Island stuff, they would have the harp music as you go into the dream sequence? Yes. That, not that exact element, but that sort of cue that something's going on here was missing. Yeah. Um, And I don't know what, it should have been in place of the harp thing, but something. Yeah. Um, so all in all, I, I enjoyed this. I think this really kind of kicked off a, a, a transition appropriately between kind of the, the Bruce Timiverse of Batman animated series and all that stuff into the more DVD centric or, or home video, I should say centric because this is a Blu-ray of, of adaptations of comic stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, the voice acting was quite good. I mean, I recognized Nathan Fillion's voice as soon as he came on, but I watch Grey's Anatomy every week, and I didn't recognize Justin Chambers, who plays Alex Krev, or uh, Kevin McKidd, who uh, plays one of the other doctors on Grey's. I can't think of his name. Uh, Owen. Mm. Um, anyways, It's been long enough since I've watched Grey's that I didn't place either. Um but Chambers played the Flash, did a great job. I mean, he did. He carried yeah. the movie. The fact that they got really good performances again, Andrea Romano, master at, at voice directing. She has been doing such a terrific job on all of the projects that I've I've watched she's been on. I, I There have been a couple. It's like, really, you, you chose that person. Hmm. Don't know that I would have chosen him, but 
got a good got a good reading out of him. Mm-hmm. You know, not reading a good 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 character out mm-hmm. of him. Um, she's also good about when they change up who does the character because they've had different people do Batman. Uh, different people do. Uh, they had a different Superman here. Instead of Tim Daly, it was his son Sam, which, mm. given the change to the character, made sense. Mm-hmm. And she's got the history with all of these actors to know kind of what works, what doesn't, and to allow each actor to do the character their way mm-hmm. and not, well, this is how so-and-so did it, so do it like them. Or, or you know, I'm sure she was giving Sam Daly suggestions or whatever to both echo what Tim Daly, because he also played Superman early in the, the film his version of Superman, but also in a couple of ways to make it different. Mm-hmm. You know, she's got a good sense of story in turn and, and how the voice needs to work. Yeah. I was watching on, I guess it was on YouTube, one of the, the CBR TV, one of the comic book resources TV segments. And it had Andrea Romano and oh, blanking on the name. Uh, Latner is the last name of the actor who's doing, I think Aquaman and the ups, coming uh either throne of atlantis or atlantis whatever that one is it's after flashpoint comes justice league war and then maybe after that one is this one with the atlantis stuff anyways um and one of the things jonah who's doing the interview mentioned was he had seen a documentary called i know that voice where for him it really clued in on just how long andrea had been doing this and the the wide range of stuff. I mean, she's done everything from Smurfs to squ- Sponge, SpongeBob SquarePants. I mean, drastically different things. Mm-hmm. So I think it may be fun to to get that uh, documentary on voice acting because it's one of those things that Nathan sounds like Nathan, mm-hmm. but that's yeah. also appropriate for Hal Jordan. Yes, and yeah. he's done Hal Jordan in a few other things. But another Warner Brothers uh, produced thing that we've watched. That Nathan with the Zin and uh, I'm pretty sure Andrea Romano uh, voice directed was the Wonder Woman. He was great in that. He was amazing in that. Carrie Russell did a great Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. So, and when you've got, I mean, voice actors, you can always split things into two parts. So this way we'll split them. Those who mainly do voice acting and those who are actors who get pulled into voice acting. I would say Nathan is an actor who got pulled into voice acting. Mm-hmm. And you look at him on Castle, um, he's got the, the expression, the body language. He's got a physical component to the acting that he can't fully leverage over a microphone. Yeah. And then you look at people who predominantly do voice acting. And obviously there's people who cross over very well between the two. But those who do the voice acting, they can completely embody a character vocally. Mm-hmm. And again... um, become kind of that signature voice of the character mm-hmm. uh kevin conroy uh who does batman um has done it for like 20 years or whatever the guy is just able to convey so much i mean you go back further to mel blank Dawes butler there are a couple that just wow the the range they could do is insane yeah so it's easy to to you going back to a comment i kind of uh, erroneously made a few moments ago if they got a good read out of that character mm. that actor whatever no they, they're doing a hell of a lot more than just reading the lines yeah and getting the right sense of character getting all of the emotion all of the 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 energy of the character conveyed just through a microphone and, and projecting all of that verbally is is amazing um how some of these people can do that and particularly with a cast this big, mm-hmm. where you also have, in some cases, multiple people doing the same role, 
between the framing sequence of, of kind of the quote-unquote real world and then the Flashpoint world, you know, and juggling all that, that talent, all those voices, and keeping things coherent and sensible and, okay, it all feels naturally, not what just happened to that voice or something. Yeah. Um, and again, Justin Chambers and, and uh, uh, Kevin McKidd, predominantly actors. Yeah. Not the people who, who specialize in voice acting. And I've had a couple of things I've watched where it's like, you know, they, they haven't mastered the voice acting craft. It's, it's just a little different. In this case, I think, uh, particularly with, with Justin Chambers, excellent job. Yeah. Uh, some I, of that I attribute to natural talent. Some of it also to, to really good coaching. Yeah. Well, and sometimes I think with some of these actors who have kids, I think there's a part of them that kind of sits back and says, okay, my kid's going to watch this. I really want it to be good. I want to do right by the kid kind of a deal. Yeah. yeah. I can see that. Yeah. Well, and I think in some cases... The actors are fans of the characters. Yes. I think Nathan Fillion wanted to do Green Lantern and Hal Jordan because he likes the character. Mm-hmm. And frankly, he would have been great in the live action movie they did. Yeah. You know, they got Ryan Reynolds instead, who I think actually did a really good job. Movie didn't didn't pan over well with people. You know, that's that's something that at some point we'll uh, we'll do an episode on that movie. It's. Interesting with Warner Animation, having had such a huge successful run with the Bruce Timm-led stuff, Batman, Superman, uh, Justice League, um, they've then kind of veered away from that universe with Batman, uh, Beware the Batman, see Batman, Brave and the Bold. You could argue that the Legion of Superheroes, certainly the Teen Titans stuff, not in the Bruce Timm continuity and such. Then you've got Young Justice, which was really good. So they've got at least one or two or three continuities there. They're now adapting the Flashpoint New 52 continuity and the comic stuff more faithfully into these made-for-home uh, video things. And DC's also got a very strong um, universe being built up on TV between Arrow and Flash. Certainly it's a contained continuity. I'm going to argue Gotham, until we have definitive proof it's not, is kind of a background of that same universe. Mm -hmm. And then they've got the the Batman films they did with uh, Christopher Nolan and who was the actor in that? Nolan was the director, right? I'm blanking. Mm -hmm. uh, Christian Bale. They're building up a, a movie universe. So the fact that they've got these different kinds of universes all kind of existing and in some cases strengthening one another in a few cases, I mean, in very few cases do I think they're flat out uh, conflicting with one another. Mm, mm -hmm. I would agree with, with Stephen Amell's uh, not being pleased that before Grant Gustin's Flash really had, you know, multiple episodes under its belt, they were announcing who's going to play the character on the movies. It's like, no, give the, the show a little more, more lead time. Yeah. You know, he's doing such a great job there, and they're doing such a great job building the world. And I could easily see some of what we get here in Flashpoint of who killed mom and all of that being a really great season ender mm. or whatnot, or actually, you know, potentially right before it, do it as the penultimate episode, tease that we're in a Flashpoint world for a little bit, and then get us out of it for the finale. Mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of things here that could play into the show. And it just shows what, what you know, kind of a rich uh, history these characters can have. It does worry me a little that they always seem to need to change the history, change the characters sometimes to get good stories. Mm. But DC used this very effectively as almost a buffer between what went before New 52 and 52. 
And one of the things I am wondering if we'll get maybe two years from now as a video release mm-hmm. is Convergence. Convergence is uh, the event that DC is going to be doing in the March, April time frame. Mm-hmm. And because they're moving their, their staff from New York to Burbank. Ah, yes. So for a two-month period, they're suspending their monthly books, doing a nine-issue weekly Convergence miniseries with 40 two-issue one-shots. Not exactly like how they did Flashpoint, but very similar. It's basically a, a instead of a five-issue main miniseries, we've got nine. It's weekly instead of not weekly, that kind of a deal. Mm-hmm. But it seems like it could be a self-contained enough storyline that could then be pared down and put onto a you know a pretty fun movie. Interesting. So, yeah, they've at least shown that that doing this lock, stock, and barrel kind of an event with no distractions within your own line to a degree mm-hmm. can work. Yeah. Anyone who's read Flashpoint, I think, would enjoy this. It's similar enough yet not absolutely identical. Oh, it's just fun to see it and you know play out on the screen. Anyone who hasn't seen Flashpoint, I think you'd agree this is accessible enough to, oh, to yeah. get into it. Yeah, it was very accessible and very enjoyable. The only thing I would say in terms of, of people who should not view it, if you've got young kids, mm. uh, no. It's it's a dark tone, and there's just enough, you know, do you need to see somebody's brains get blown out kind of deal. There was a decapitation. Yeah. I mean, it... Yeah. I didn't think it was overly gory. I did think it was particularly violent in a few places. Yeah. So it's not like we see entrails or blood flowing and squirting around. That it, I never once felt like I was about to puke or whatever, but I did think, you know, not appropriate for all ages. And nor yeah. do they claim yeah. it is. Yeah, it was definitely a World at War movie. They, they are quite right about that. Epic saga, major scope, world-changing events. Yeah. So it's it's big plot, big yeah. story. And yet they fit into 81 minutes. And made it something that was personally relevant to the two lead characters. Yes, very much so. And again, I, I uh, attribute that back to the source material. Mm-hmm. But again, taking all of that, adapting it well, no small task there. I think that's all I've got on it. Cool. The show notes and form for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.